Heavenly Fathers, we open your word. We ask you to speak to us. By your spirit, no matter where we are, whether we are struggling with faith or whether we're on a spiritual high, whether there is a struggle in our lives that we don't have answers for or whether everything seems to be going well right now, Lord, let us be open to what you have to say that you might impact us. Encourage and equip us in all areas of our lives to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year for the honor and glory of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Yesterday, I made a trip to the Custer Road Transfer Station, better known as the Dump. Had a bunch of stuff in our garage, it had been there for a long time, it was time to get rid of it, so we took it, went to the Dump. And as I'm driving home, I'm on Ridgeview, I'm heading west towards my house, it's a three-lane road that kind of runs parallel to 121, and I'm in the middle lane. And I'm very thankful I'm in the middle lane at this point because over in that kind of North Plano, going into McKinney, uh, there's a lot of hills. Um, It's it's a beautiful area, and the roads do this a lot. And I'm coming to the top of this, not a large hill, but I'm coming to the top and getting ready to go over. As I get to that point where I can see down, there is a guy who is jogging in the middle of one of the the fast lane toward oncoming traffic. And I thought, if I had been in that lane, I mean, I I don't think I would have hit him, but I guarantee if there was a car next to me, I would have hit it. Because I would have just swerved. I mean, there would have been no thought. It's like I'd have seen him and just gone over. What is this guy doing? Jogging uphill on a three-lane road in the fast lane into oncoming traffic. At the same time, I was thinking about the sermon today. (laughs) I actually think the Christian life is a little bit like that. It is at times like jogging uphill into oncoming traffic in the fast lane. That that is what Christian faith is like. I think far too often, Christianity is thought more of, it's a choice that we make that is going to bring us happiness and peace. Instead of a path that we walk like our Lord. And his path, he had peace, but he had tremendous turmoil and struggle and strife. It was not a walk in the park for him. Here's a a quote from Thomas Akempis. Jesus today has many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who carry his cross. Many who yearn for comfort, few who long for distress. Plenty of people he finds to share his banquet few to share his fast. Everyone desires to take part in his rejoicing, but few are willing to suffer 
anything for his sake. I am here to tell you this morning that the Christian life involves, at its very core, struggle, sacrifice, hurt, strife. It is a challenging walk because it is the walk that he took. And you cannot read his life without seeing his struggle. Whether it is for people to understand him, religious leaders, his own disciples, the end of his life, when he says he has no place to lay his head, it was a struggle. And we're called to walk in his footsteps. Christianity, by its very nature, is a struggle. I would say it in this way. Our experience of Christianity would tell us that's true. In fact, at times, people leave the faith because they've come to the faith thinking, now that I've done this, everything's just going to be good. I'm going to find all this great happiness all the time. I'm always going to have peace. And, and then when that doesn't happen, because all of us know life's not like that, they end up thinking something's wrong with Christianity. I would argue if something was wrong with the way they understood Christianity. I think it's something like this. The Christian life is not founded upon peace and things going my way, but upon faith and things going God's way. That's what this life is about. Now, will you have peace? You absolutely can have peace. But it's founded on faith. And it's not about how things go for me in particular, but about God's way in my life. That's what Jesus tries to show his disciples in the transfiguration. Life will be challenging, but here's the encouragement. Open up your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're starting in verse 2. This is, uh, in the tradition of the church, Transfiguration Sunday. This is the day, the Sunday right before Lent starts, and it's the Sunday that we look particularly at that event called the Transfiguration. The season of Epiphany, which stands between Advent and Lent, is a season where we talk about what Jesus reveals about himself. The Transfiguration is the highlight of that, which is why it's the last Sunday. Starting in verse 2, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. It's interesting that he takes just those three. All the rest of them are there, but he pulls them aside. It's not the only time he does this. These three have some prominent place. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. He's glowing. I mean, he is, in essence, what we think of when we think of heavenly beings. That's what they're seeing. And just to add to it, there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. What in the world is he doing? I don't care how long you've been a Christian, this is an odd scene. 
he grabs these three guys, he goes up on a mountain, and boom, he lights up. And on top of that, uh, they suddenly appear Elijah and Moses, and somehow these guys seem to know who they are. They don't have any photos of these two guys. They've been dead a long time, but they seem to know who they are. And they're having this conversation. What's happening? Why did he do this? If you back up, I want to describe some context because it helps you understand what he's doing. Jesus has just asked them who they think he is. Jesus has just said, I am going to be betrayed and killed. Can I tell you that's not what you want your Messiah to say? I mean, think about Messiah is supposed to come and rescue you, right? He's supposed to come and set all things right. But the religious leaders, all your pastors, are going to turn on him and kill him. And Peter is so distraught by this that he rebukes Jesus. Have you ever rebuked the Lord? I mean, that's some serious stuff. And Jesus, in the hearing of all the other disciples, to make sure nobody misunderstands, Jesus gives his own stinging rebuke of Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You have your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. And then, just to make it clear, he says, calls the whole crowd, everybody come here. You want to follow me? You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This life that I'm offering you, there can be great joy and great peace. There is an eternity I'm offering you. But there's a life of sacrifice that I'm calling you to. The life of the kingdom is suffering to glory. Not my way, happiness, peace, and everything I want, and then glory also. He says, you got to come and follow. But then he says this. Jump back one verse. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, there's a lot of debate about this verse. I mean, all kinds of ways of understanding it. I'm going to tell you how I understand it. It is one way. Take it for what it's worth. I think... The emphasis here is not, although the ESV translation lends it a little more destruction, I think the emphasis is not there's going to be some people who won't pass away before they see the kingdom. Like Judas is going to pass away before he sees the kingdom, so some standing here are actually going to. I don't think that's the point. You've got to understand that they believed they would see the kingdom only after they died. Much like today, many people would say, once I die, I'll see heaven. I think what he was saying is, some of you are actually going to see the kingdom this side of death. It's going to be revealed to you. In fact, three of you, come with me six days later. I'm going to begin this. And he's going to show the three on the mountain. Then in the resurrection, all the disciples will see it, plus 500 more, Paul says. Then at the ascension, more people are going to see the power of the kingdom. And then when the Spirit comes on Pentecost, more people are going to see the power of the kingdom. That there's multiple ways this gets fulfilled, but the first one is what we are talking about right now today. And the reason it's happening to these three today is because Jesus has just said, this is going to be hard. 
This Christian walk is gonna challenge you. And I want to encourage you. I wanna give you something to hold on to. And so come up this mountain with me and I want you to see something. I want you to see how real this is. I want you to see that everything I'm telling you, and I understand, I mean, I'm, as Jesus, I can see him saying to them, I get this. What I'm saying to you right now about all the suffering and how I'm gonna be betrayed, that does not fit your theological categories. It doesn't fit your understanding of the Old Testament. It doesn't fit what you think Messiah is gonna do. It doesn't fit the life of the chosen people. But what I'm gonna show you is my glory so you will understand that what I'm telling you is true. This is the way it is. And so they go up this mountain and they get to see the glorified son of God. I was cleaning my son's room and I had moved a dresser from one wall to another wall. But before I was moving it, I thought I'm gonna clean and I don't know if you've ever looked room that, like where the carpet hits the wall, especially in a little boy's room, that is not going to be vacuumed up easily. And so I got down, and I'm kind of pulling, using my hand, I'm pulling stuff away from the wall so I can vacuum it up. And one of the things I'm pulling away, my kids at Halloween got a bunch of little plastic spiders. They're about this big, and they're solid black. And like from a distance, they look real. I mean, you look at them, you're not paying attention, especially if the light's not great, and you're like, there's a spider. I mean, it's like the size of a quarter. Well, I start to bend down, and there's like four of these things. And I'm like, oh, no. oh, okay, they're just the plastic spiders. And so I'm moving them away. I reach down, and I go to move one of them away, and it starts moving itself away. And I screamed like a little girl which is kind of mean to say about little girls because my little boys scream the same way right now. And I just jump. Like, that one was real. That one was not a plastic spider. And it was about the size of these other little spiders just sitting there. I think it thought it was camouflaged. It was like hiding in with all the plastic ones. And I started thinking about my faith. I know that sometimes... My faith, my trust in God from a distance, it looks more real than it actually is at times. Especially as a pastor. I mean, so many people will be like, oh, will you pray for me? Because you're the pastor. Like, your life is together. And you know what? From a distance, it does look together sometimes. The closer you get, the struggles that I'm going through, the more you may see at times, it's got a plastic quality to it. That it's not always as strong. That there's ups and downs. There's doubts that I have. They had them too. And I think what Jesus was doing is he was showing them a real spider. That this thing is real. That what I'm telling you they aren't just words. This isn't a plastic faith. But what I'm going to go through, what I'm going to suffer, and what I'm going to achieve, it is real. And what I'm calling you to in this life, it will lead to the same thing. And so here's a glimpse of glory so that you know what you're putting your faith in, what you're walking this path, no matter how hard it gets, 
The end is real. And then you get Peter's reaction. You see that? Here's what Peter does. Verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. It would have been good if Peter had stopped right there. Because it is good that they are there. Jesus specifically chose these three guys and said, come up this mountain with me. It is good that we are there. But Peter keeps going. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Because the Son of God in glory, the guy who parted the Red Sea, and the guy who made it not rain for three and a half years and called fire down from heaven, cannot figure out how to make a little place for them to rest or sleep. They're incapable of putting up their own tent. I'm so glad we're here. And then Mark lets us know he did not know what to say. We see that. This is just not the most appropriate thing to be saying at this moment. Peter is completely missing what Jesus is trying to do by showing them the transfiguration. And Mark tells us why. For they were terrified. They were terrified. Can I ask you, do you ever act out of fear? Is fear ever a motivator for you? Do you ever make decisions because you're afraid? Do you ever have interactions with people and they display your fear? It's why you do some of the things you do, because you're afraid. How often does fear run what you do? It's a big issue in life. I read an article that said Ann Landers, who was receiving upwards of 10,000 letters per day asking for advice before she died in 2002, she said the number one topic in her letters was fear. And it took lots of different uh, manifestations it could be fear from monetary things, fear of relationships, fear of jobs, but fear, number one thing. In 2016, the National Institute of Mental Health did a study on fear. Here's what the conclusions were published in September 4th, 2016. The percentage of things that are feared by people that never take place are 60% that over half of what we're afraid of never happens. Or this, the percentage of things feared that are considered to be insignificant. Like even if they happened, it would be a very small impact. But we're, we're terrified of them. 90%. And then just because of the season that we're in, percentage of things feared in relation to health that will never happen. 88%. Think of all of this stuff that we struggle with. Fear is absolutely real in all of our lives. And there's actually a positive when it's not out of proportion, right? I mean, a healthy amount of fear can help keep us safe. Like, we should fear playing in the middle of the streets on a busy intersection. 
That's a good thing to fear. But when fear loses that proportion and it moves past it, we start acting out of fear. And I think it can cause at least two things. We see them in Peter. Number one, we act strangely. We do and say things that don't necessarily warrant the situation. I mean, they're just, they're out of proportion or they're weird or they're, there's a better reaction to that. It's, it's Peter going, you are transfigured right now. Instead of falling to my knees and worshiping you and understanding that, wow, what you're saying is right and true and I can live this life, I offer to make tents for you. But that's what fear does, right? It makes us act weird ways. It makes us do strange things. It sometimes makes us do dumb things. I read this story in 1947. Vladimir Zinkohov, a government accounting clerk in Russia, he returned home from a night of drinking to discover that he had misplaced 400 ration cards owned by his boss. Ration cards were a prized commodity in post-war Russia. With Siberia beckoning, his wife advised her husband, we need to figure out how to hide you. So they came up with a story that he had run off with another woman. He hid in his home, according to a newspaper article, for 22 years. Until his wife died. Well, after his wife died, he couldn't support himself, and so he went to the local authorities and turned himself in. And it was only then that he discovered the following day they had found the ration cards. Here's the irrational part about this. The family, the wife, she never questioned any of it. She never went to the work to, like, Snoop around. She, they never, nothing. For 22 years, he lived in fear of something that wasn't actually real. Doing things that are kind of stupid because that's what fear can do to us. A second thing that fear does, it blinds us to what's actually going on. I mean, here's the saddest part of the story. Peter and the James and John, they don't even get the point. Like they actually miss what God is trying to do. They miss the reason they're brought up to the mountain. They miss this amazing thing that God is trying to do in their life because they're so afraid. Fear causes us to see things differently and we can actually miss the very thing God is trying to do. I think that is especially true in our trials. How often when we are going through something that is hard, our only focus is what? How do I get out of this? God, why won't you save me? God, why aren't you changing this? I'm not even sure I believe in God right now because this is so bad. How often is our focus, God, this is really hard, but your son walked a hard path. I want to know what you are doing. I want to see what you're trying to accomplish. We miss what God is actually doing because of the fear. Benjamin Harrison served as the 23rd president of the United States 
He also is the first president to have electric lights installed in the White House. He had two years left on his term when they were finally installed, but he was terrified of being electrocuted. He was terrified of his family being electrocuted or off. Not either him or his family. He would not turn them on or off himself. He would only have servants do it because he reasoned, eh, somebody's going to get electrocuted. Shouldn't be the president. But here's what that meant. There were nights where they slept with the lights on because there were no servants around to turn them off. And they would not turn them off. They would just sleep with the lights on. Here's this great new invention that is put in the White House that he's so afraid of, he won't use it. He won't see it for what it's worth. That's what happens with fear. It blinds us to possibilities that God has for us because we focus on the fear, and we focus on, as the National Institute of Mental Health said, all of the things that may not even happen. All of the things that, like, even if they did happen, they may not actually impact our lives that much. I mean, as I look over the last 20 years of marriage with my wife, we've had a lot of moments of fear. We've had lots of difficult, challenging things that have happened. And here's the thing. Some of the things we feared actually did happen. But some of them really didn't have a giant impact. Like, we may have had to change something in our life. Maybe we had a little less money for a while. Uh, I, even when they did happen, our lives did not end. And yet, when we were going through it, you would have thought we were going to die if this thing happened. Because that's what fear does. It blinds us to the truth. So, what does God do about it? Um, I thought this was just funny, so I'm going to share it. I don't you do this too often. Um, this is really a, an illustration that does not need to be said. I'm going to say it anyway because I thought it was funny. There was a man who suffered greatly from anxiety of monsters under his bed. Grown man. He went to a psychiatrist because he knew they weren't real. He went to a psychiatrist, spent weeks. Nothing was helping this guy. He finally decided, I'm going to go to a different psychiatrist. Somebody's got to be able to help me with these monsters under my bed. So he goes to a different psychiatrist, and after one session, he is freed from his anxiety. So he went back to the other psychiatrist, and he said, I'm cured. And, and the psychiatrist was blown away. He's like, there's no way. Like, what, what in the world did he say to you? Simple. He said, to cut the legs off my bed. <laughs> and get past our fears and move into faith. Look at what God does. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I think there are two things in there. You want to move from fear to faith? You want to go from the anxiety that so many of us struggle with into an assurance as believers? I think there are two things in here. Number one, at the very root, the very core 
of the entire ministry of Jesus Christ was this truth. He is loved by the Father. It drove him, it gave him confidence. He was loved by the Father. Not as a, just a, a nice saying, but as something that sunk into him. He believed the king's love for him. And what I find amazing about this is, this is my beloved son. Do you want to know how much God loves you? He gave his beloved son. He gave the one that he loves because of his love for us. This wasn't like his third child that drove him nuts, that he's like, if I got rid of this one, it might be okay. No. I, we don't have any of those, really. I'm, <laughs> I love all of my children equally. I don't like them all the same all the time, but I love them all equally. This is his beloved child that he gave, which should tell you how committed he is to us, how much he loves us. And you know what that kind of difference that can make? What is it like going through a trial when somebody who you know loves you is going through it with you? What's it like when you can lean into that? He loves us truly. Even when we doubt, even when we're struggling, he loves us truly. That is part of the way we can move out of our fear and into faith. This is the way that John writes it. Perfect love casts out fear. You have perfect love, church, from the Father. Paul says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and thing. Listen, that's what we have. And then the second thing, listen to him. He gives us an alternative. The alternative to fear is listening to Christ. When we are afraid, it is focusing on his life, his words, his promises, his resurrection, his glory. It's everything that he is, everything he represents, everything he offers. That is our alternative to fear. It's moving that way. Listen to him. And the image that comes with it is this. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Because that is, truthfully, what we ultimately have. Jesus. And far too many of us, me included, when the fear comes up, I rely on me. How am I going to figure this out? What am I going to do? And I'm not saying we should be dumb and not do anything. But if that's the foundation of trying to get rid of our fear, all we're doing is spinning the wheels of anxiety in our heads. And they are much like a little hamster wheel. They don't go anywhere. They just keep spinning. Have you had that experience? You want off that wheel? Listen to him. See it for what it is. He alone can give us that. 
I think I know why this guy was running into oncoming traffic. Now, I don't know why he didn't just run in the median. There was a big old median on that road, but I think I do know why he was running into oncoming traffic. He was wearing these massive headphones, and my guess is he couldn't hear anything but the music that he was running with. I mean, I know when I used to run, the music was loud enough that I didn't really hear much else. You know, maybe a siren, maybe a screeching sound, but like, you're hearing the music. I mean, that's what lets you keep going, right? It gives you energy, and you're hearing the music because it drives you. And I mean, I've drawn strength when running to listening to songs. At the same time, you wouldn't be able to hear the things coming up behind you. And I can't help but wondering if he just wanted to be able to see his oncoming death, you know? And so he's got these headphones blocking out everything else. But I would also say the Christian life in the middle of the fast lane is at times running uphill into oncoming traffic right in the middle of the fast lane. And we need those headphones. And coming through them are the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, that we are holding on to the words of eternal life that come from him trusting that we are loved, truly. And so these words are for us. Glory is real, and it is our future. But it's also what he wants to do right now in our lives. And in that way, we have an opportunity to move from a plastic faith to a real one, to move out of our fears into a stronger faith, to get off this anxiety wheel and to start moving forward with an assurance that God is with us, church. That God is moving and working in power and in love. That is our God and our hope. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, To say that life is just easy is a lie. To say that all of us don't have struggles at times, it's just not true. But we know, Lord, that you saw that. We know that your son had his struggles. We know the disciples' struggle. We see in Scripture everybody going through their struggles. Lord, help us to remember, to hold on to, to more deeply embrace your love for us and let us turn to your son instead of our own anxiety wheels. Let us trust what he says, to hold tightly to those words, to his life, to his promises, to the future we know we have in glory, that we might be strong in the Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.